Hello, and welcome to Someday We'll All Be Dead, a podcast where we talk about all the things with a social work perspective. I'm your host, Hallie Harris, and I'm a hospice social worker. Today, you're going to hear my interview with Joanna. She is amazing. She's a TikTok superstar, in my opinion. I did a podcast previously with her called Save the Cheerleader, Save the World. It was back in 2021, and I asked her to come back and talk to me about healthcare and the discrepancies between Canada and the United States and the difficulties that she's had as she has navigated them for her grandmother. Now, she is not a healthcare professional, but she is a user of the system. So I thought that would be a really important distinction, especially after just airing my own grievances about some caregiving difficulties where we are. So this is, again, Joanna. She is Unlearn16 on TikTok. She's also on Instagram, on Twitter. And she is from Ontario, Canada. She's a high school teacher. She teaches history and politics. She uh, has 2.5 million subscribers or followers on TikTok. She has her own podcast called Unlearn 16 Classes in Session. She is incredibly smart. I'm looking forward to her upcoming project, Love, Lies, and Videotape. That's coming this fall. That'll be on YouTube. But for now, we're here. We're now. We're talking about healthcare. She does end with some hope, which gives me hope. So without further ado, here is Joanna and I talking about healthcare. Congratulations first. I'm mean, kind of want to start off on a happy note. I, I'm hearing about this Love, Lies, and Videotape show. Very I don't know excited. what it is, but it yeah. sounds cool. Yeah, we're doing a 15-episode run. We're going to put it up on YouTube, Vanessa and I. it's a Technically, it's a travel show. It's an adventure show where we do scary things, have scary conversations, and hopefully laugh as much okay. as we possibly can. So, yeah. That sounds like a good premise. What's it going to be on? YouTube. We're going to put it on YouTube for at least the first five episodes and then we'll see. Okay. Great. Well, yeah. I hope it goes bigger for you. Thank you so much. <laughs> and happy almost birthday. Oh, thank you. That is yeah. soon, right? Right? Right about in the eyes. Here. <laughs> remember, we're only a year apart and a month apart. So I remember your go. birthday. I can't believe Perfect. it's been almost two years since I interviewed you last. Is that it? Yes, I had to go look it you, up. I think you were the first person who asked me to be on their podcast. Yes. I think that was it. I think that <laughs> entitles you to a podcast, you know, from here to eternity. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Well, I do appreciate it. I actually plowed through our podcast that ended up being two parts last time because you're just so I'm, easy to talk to and we were all over the place. I'm lengthy. Yeah. Well, I'm going to try to rein it in because I'm sure that was partly my fault because I had so many different things to talk about. And today, you know, I just I want to start off with acknowledging that there may be some heavy conversation that we get into. And I do want to keep it light where we can. Yeah. Um, I actually just released an episode about my own grievances with our own United States healthcare system slash caregiving. It's a nightmare. And as you uh, may or may not remember, I do hospice social work. So my specialty and my focus really is end of life care. Right. But what brought me to ask you on again was your recent conversations right. about Grandma Ruby, the national right. treasure that is Grandma Ruby. 
And um, I saw the TikTok first, and then I did go back and watch your podcast episodes where you are a little more lengthy about what's going on. What's and, going on, yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, really, I, I want to talk about a couple things with the caveat that I know you're not a healthcare worker, that this is you as a user of that service. Yeah. And that now, you're coming from us from Ontario. Right. So kind of the differences between Canada and the United States in healthcare. I definitely want to talk more about your discussion on socialization versus privatization, because obviously that is a huge difference between our countries and the way that we utilize it. But I didn't know how it feels like Canada's kind of starting to try to emulate the problems we have. Absolutely. So. What a, what a, what a stupid step. Well, for, first of all, my mom has been a nurse uh, and was a nurse for 45 years. So I, and I kind of grew up in hospital settings. I was, I was with her a lot at work. So I have a different perspective there too, but I have to say that our geriatric care has always been private. It's not there. There's mm-hmm. government funded facilities that cost less so we do have that, but by less, I mean about $4,000 a month. Yeah. Oh, and yeah. That's, that's government subsidized. That's not the worst, but that's, I would say, middle of the, there are, there. if you have nothing and you're going to be homeless, there are places, but that's different. Government subsidized, you're looking at anywhere from three to $5,000, whereas fully private, you're looking at, I would say easily eight to 12. Which would I, I would say, depending on the type of care and that I did get into some numbers. I know you didn't really want to get into that with your own situation, but um, in my last episode, we did kind of break down so that people know, especially in, you know, I'm coming from Washington state. And so I'm just talking about our area, but certainly the cost difference and what people don't expect or are not planning for is mm-hmm. how much that care is going to cost. Right. And yeah. so, yeah, it's a and sticker we, shock. I would never even, you know, and when I say price wise, I say eight to 12, because at the end of the day, I'm not really afraid of telling people what my, you know, what, what needs to be spent. I'm just, I want to give a range because it depends on your need. Yeah. So there's not this final price. Like my grandma can't get up or get back into bed or, you know, having said that we are there a lot now in Ontario, you can also get some home care that's part of our OHIP. So that's part of our, our government, you know, universal health care. Now, for my grandma, just so we understand, she is at a needs level where she gets two hours per day of in-home care. Now, when she is in the facility, when she's in the in-care facility, that in-home care can go then to the facility. Oh, that's now, here's the problem. It goes nowhere good. Mm. I I am going to start speaking on this a little loud, more loudly, I would say in the next couple of weeks, because I'm seeing if I can resolve it intelligently, mm-hmm. calmly, respectfully, but I'm about to not be so respectful because that's the government price. So here's how Ontario works. Ontario has something called the LIN, which is like, and kind of works for the government. Okay. They're an overseeing board of workers, healthcare workers, predominantly PSW, some nurses that go into homes and take care of people in their homes so they don't need to be hospitalized or they don't have to pay for, you know, assisted living. On the front end, that seems lovely. 
Mm-hmm. Okay. Because it, okay. I get, I get the point. We send you a little bit of care. So you don't need the big care. It costs everybody less. You stay in your home. I get it. Here's the problem. There's a, there's timing issues when it comes to people who are older. They, they mm-hmm. don't necessarily, it's not like, well, at 10 to 11 every day, grandma Ruby will do a, B and C. That's not how older people work. And the more needs based they are, the more that's irregular. Mm-hmm. And when they, you know, some some days they need you more than others and at different times and all of that. So I don't find it effective. I don't find it useful. And what we've been finding is they're sending these people into, by the way, the facility my grandma's in, I want to say this really, really clearly. And I will eventually mention, it's hard because I don't want to mention the place or the company, but it's, at some point I probably will mm-hmm. just because... I have very lovely people that follow me. I don't want any lovely people. I don't want anybody at the facility. Yeah. Um, But to be honest, my grandma might like it. I don't know. (laughs) Um, Because the place that she is at is beautiful. The people that take care of her, take care of her like I take care of her. Mm -hmm. So when, when we say that there's that money being spent, I don't really begrudge the cost. I begrudge the fact that our tax dollars, which in Canada are relatively high, don't pay for that kind of care for every single person. And I also don't understand. So so these people, so the Lynn is the overarching governing community. Here's the thing. The nurses and the PSWs don't work for the hospital. They work for an outsourced contracted company that then hires those other people. And so when they go in to see my gram and they're supposed to spend an hour in the morning and an hour at night, they're not. There's no way, I'm saying this flat out, flat out, and this is never going to change. There is no way they're spending two hours a day with my grandmother. No way, but they're getting paid for it. Mm-hmm. So what I said and what I've, you know, I'm like, listen, when my grandma's is in that full-time care facility, why can't I take the money that you are going to spend on a contracted out service? It's not, it's not still kept in the government. The government is paying a contracted out, whatever that number is, $2,000 a month, let's say. Give that to my grandma, offset mm-hmm. the cost right. of her private so if it's it's normally 10, now it costs eight because we're not needing that service from you anymore. How does that not make sense? Yeah. That, like, no, no, we can't do that. Well, you're not doing anything right at this point. Yeah. And, you know, I think uh, people down here in America might have a very big misconception about what Canadian healthcare even looks like. All we hear is it's socialized that everything's paid for, but that's definitely not the case. No. I mean, I'm assuming even you could speak to your own recent litany of scans you had to do for a wellness check well those are all (laughs) those are all covered i just don't enjoy them right Um, but that's the thing it's like not everything's covered in canada so don't get me wrong our system is in my opinion i would much rather universal health care i don't understand how canada and the united states being two of the richest countries in the world how dare we how dare we not have a fully funded healthcare system. It's disgusting. It's gross. In yeah. Canada, you have to also understand different provinces do it a little bit differently. Okay. So there's expectation, but they it's like they have to provide service A, but they might distribute it differently in different mm-hmm. provinces. But in Ontario, for example, you know, you get sick, you need a surgery, you need a heart transplant, anything you need, you go 100% covered, you don't pay a dime. However, as soon as you step outside of that, 
there are things that are covered and things that are not. Any medic, if you get an ear infection, antibiotics not covered. If you need what? If you have diabetes, if you have none, no prescriptions are covered by the Ontario government, by our governmental service. That is all covered because most of us have extra insurance through our jobs. Huh. Dental not covered. You know, that's a whole nother thing. How is dental and vision not part of medical care? But I digress. Vision, here's the best part. And mental health, by the way. Vision used to be covered here. And and, um, it's just been deregulated. Vision and chiropractic care, care, to a certain amount, used to be covered. Listen, the the bottom line is this. It's going to cost, especially with the baby boom generation getting older, Mm -hmm. it's going to cost an insane amount of money. Nobody's arguing the insanity of the cost. Nobody's, I'm not even trying to undervalue it. I will call it an insane amount of money. And then I will follow it with a sentence that says, I don't care. Mm -hmm. Pay it. My Ontario government right now, like we have a provincial premier, much like you guys have a governor's and he has a $27 billion, billion dollar surplus. Are you kidding? You have a $27 billion surplus. Our hospitals look like garbage. Nurses are quitting left to right. We don't have enough staff. Long-term care has never been good. And our schools are falling apart. You don't have a surplus. What you have is stolen money from essential services that you are no longer providing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It should be criminal. It you you should never say surplus. I should never hear those words coming out of your mouth until we have a perfect education system, a perfect hospital system. The government's job is to spend that money to take care of the population. And in this country, education and healthcare are the most important provincial responsibilities. Period. You shouldn't mm-hmm. have a surplus. What what are you doing to get a surplus? <laughs> yeah. It's ridiculous. Yeah. It's and it's exhausting. And I think what's most frustrating is that people really don't get involved or know the ins and outs of it until it is a loved one, unfortunately. <laughs> of course. Right. I wasn't. <clears throat> my mom's been in healthcare forever, right? I've just started learning about all of this. I mean, my mom had surgery and she has the ileo conduit. And so I've learned all about that and all about what kind of healthcare she gets and how, you know, irregular that can be and how she has to pay for the bags and all of that kind of stuff. But then learning about and watching my grandma go through it. And yeah, also have to understand. I get angry part and part, part and parcel, because there's a level of um, guilt because I never wanted her. And I sort of made a promise I would never put her there. Mm-hmm. Right. I, it's one of those things where I said that that's not, we're not doing that, you know? And when my mom got sick and had to go through major surgery and key and all of the stuff she's gone through and she's still like, she's getting better and still not on the other side of it. Which yeah, was I by the way, it was right before we talked last time. So that's how long you've been going through this. It's insane. Battle. And at that point, I'm like, I can't, There's too many balls in the air. I can't. My mom couldn't take care of my grandma because she was sick. And so my grandma went to stay with my aunt. And then when my grandma got sick, and here's the part, you know, most of us don't get. She got a weird parasite. We have no Mm -hmm. idea how she got it. Some food, whatever. They say fruit and vegetables, but my grandma hasn't eaten a piece of vegetable in (laughs) 97 years. So I don't know. It's snuck on her plate somehow. 
her and I laugh about that actually. Um, but when she got really sick, um, you know, she was really sick and I don't need to go into all that, but needless to say, she would have been very dehydrated. She would have been very deprived of any sort of nutrients in her system. Mm-hmm. And then we tried to get her to eat, but then she didn't want to eat because she felt sick. And this has been the constant battle. And when you're 97, like when, when you're, you or I, and we don't eat for a while, we feel horrible, but eventually we bounce back when you're 97 and your body shuts down like that, your body just doesn't want to turn back on. Mm-hmm. So literally, I know that that's the, like, I'm watching it, but there's nothing else you can do other than like, she eats ice cream three times a day Yeah, because that's the thing she feels like. And, you know, trying to get her to eat whatever she could eat, I'll bring her whatever she wants, but they have full meals that they cook for. It's, you know, again, a beautiful place trying to get her to eat, but like now she's lost weight. So her teeth don't fit properly. So she doesn't want to put her teeth back in, Mm -hmm. but to get a denturist in there and get her refitted, that's not going to happen. Right. Like, it's just like this snowball of things that you just never knew you would have to deal with. And there's so many layers to that too. Like you're, you're talking about a parasite right? So already a health concern. You're talking about someone that's 97. So the bounce back feature, like you're talking about just being older in general, even if that's assuming you've been healthy up until this point for people that haven't been, then you're talking about, you know, dementia diagnosis and how that changes the body or the swallow. I know you mentioned her swallow challenging. And then the way that the healthcare system and society, frankly, looks at care for the elderly. And I know you briefly touched on that too, but that is such a component of, you know, we've been knowing that the baby boomer generation is getting older. The silver tsunami as, as sometimes is referred as (laughs) if we didn't know it was coming. (laughs) I'm going to call my mom that the silver tsunami. (laughs) It's a great uh, superhero name. (laughs) (laughs) um yeah I think yeah we know we just here's the reality and I blame sure I blame politicians but to be honest I blame us I blame I blame us for voting for people who promise us stupid garbage in in lieu of everything being fine when our own common sense dictates it is not yeah that's it that's it and we can sit around saying them 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 all we want but we all voted and when they say things like you're not allowed to say raise taxes, <laughs> listen, if you don't want to say raise taxes, I understand, but understand that has a cost. So when your grandmother or your mother or your father is in their are in their 90s and they need this kind of care and you can't come up with the ninety one hundred dollars. I, I hate to say, the, you know, the it's the only way you feel it. The I told you so of yeah. you didn't want to spend an extra thousand dollars on taxes a year. Yeah, that's that's that was the vote. That's how you voted because you didn't want your taxes to go up because in your head, you just think the government's like burning our money. Listen, Doug Ford might be. I don't know what he's doing, <laughs> but but that's those are the votes that you that matter. Mm-hmm. Right. And we constantly say money, money, money. But I'm listen, I'm about to write this article about economics and how it ties into um, decisions and political life. And and the notion that we don't have it is fictional. Mm-hmm. It's fictitionally created much in the way 
supply and demand is fictitionally mutated and and changed consistently to fill the demands of whatever uh, mass production company is trying to sell us something. Mm-hmm. It, it's it's we, we're going to burn crops to elevate the cost of asparagus. That's what we're yeah. doing. Yeah. That's that's the actual reality. But metaphorically, that's what we're doing across the board to try to control different economies. And then we sit back as politicians and say, yeah, but the economy's out of our control. No, it's not. It's our creation. <laughs> it's our it's our baby. That it's our money Frankenstein monster, but it is. Money has value because we created it. We gave it such. And now we're looking around saying, well, we don't have enough. Of course we do. Of course yeah. we do. We just need to choose to use it differently. What do you want to do with it? How big do our houses need to be? Mm-hmm. How many cars do we need in the driveway? Mm-hmm. Right, and 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 that's not just about the that just just about the consumer, but that's also about the way in which we are as a, as a country. We focus on production. What do we produce? How much do we produce? You know, my uh, students and I sometimes talk about how many chocolate chip cookies are there in the one aisle. Mm-hmm. Think about the excess of our culture and then tell me it's a system of brilliant capitalism. Mm-hmm. Brilliant capitalism is it is not brilliant. It's I think toxic. <laughs> it, it, it doesn't it right. What we have right now, by the way, is even capitalism, but it's definitely not brilliant. And I'm not, a lot of people say, well, what do you want, communism? Listen, there's not just two ways of doing things in this entire world. So let's assume communism didn't work, but let's not then say, well, this form of capitalism is the only thing we got. So shut the hell up and stop complaining. No, mm-hmm. that's not the way it should work either. Yeah. Um, we need to readjust. We need to finesse. We need to, ch- and maybe we need some big overhauls so that people who are in their 90s, you know, aren't spending $10,000 a month to be proper. In my opinion, it's healthcare, by the way. Mm-hmm. We separated out to geriatric care so that in Ontario, for example, it can be privatized. Right. That's it. What are we doing here? Yeah. No. And it's just, like I said, watching the people that she's with take care of her is really quite beautiful because I can't be there. But knowing the other stories of other people in other facilities is quite terrifying. Yeah. Very, very terrifying. Yeah. It really spoke to me after I was hearing your talking about this initially is having just done that episode and thinking we just started, or we're just starting this next month, the Washington cares act. And so I wanted to tie that in. What that is, is a tax. And it is basically, a very short version, <laughs> very short version, is it's a tax that is kind of a long-term care insurance policy, but it's very similar yeah. to what you were mentioning, where you get a certain amount and it only lasts for a little while and it doesn't cure everything, but it is supposed to be this intermediate that you're supposed to have access right away. And I see it from a healthcare worker standpoint, I see it as the buffer to get you to the other resources. Hmm. Assuming it works right. I mean, we don't even know because you have to vest into this thing for 10 years. Right. Um, or a minimum, I think, of six years. They they've made some adjustments recently, but it's 
just like you're saying, even if you get, you know, caregivers two to four hours in a day, you, depending on your needs, need different things. And so this new tax in Washington allows you to have access to $36,000 upfront. And that's right now, it's supposed to change with inflation. It's not the answer to everything. It's not going to fix the other systemic issues that have been going on and are continuing to break. It's mm-hmm. not going to fix the lack of caregivers, the lack of certified nursing assistants and nurses and all the things you've been talking about too. And so we're just really feeling that pain. And as that need for care grows, both with a geriatric population and people with long COVID, for example, or other disabilities that need ongoing care for much longer than just a couple of years. Mm-hmm. You know, one of my rants in the in the podcast we just recorded was everybody wants to just die in their sleep at, you know, 100 after living a full life and having no care needs. Like, yeah, sure. I sure. want you to have that hope. I hope you get it. Yeah. Let's plan for maybe something else. Absolutely. Uh, you know, and it, it amazes me how we are really good at pretending as though that's not our future. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Myself included, right? Like, it's pretty amazing. It's just like, ah, oh, well, I'm just not, because we've also become really good in our, it's kind of a perfect storm, to be honest with you. The baby boom silver wave you're talking about generation had, has sort of coincided with us getting really, really good at medicating and treating, but not curing mm-hmm. many, many things. Mm-hmm. So HIV and, and and people with HIV and AIDS, look, we, we've come leaps and bounds in the last like 25 years as to be able to, you know, somebody with HIV can live 30, 40 years. Having said that, it's with consistent sometimes medical intervention, drug therapies, and things like that over that time, cancers. More people think that they either die or they get, they're thrown into remission when in actuality, the majority of people are just living with cancer and cancer treatment for decades. Yeah. That is, is, is an expensive weight on the medical system as a whole. So not only do we have an aging population, we also have that intermediary. So we're not curing anything. We're not got real good at that yet, but but we're really good at lengthening life span with chronic illness. Diabetes is another great example of that. Diabetes, really expensive, decades long. Yeah. So that's why we're seeing this huge ballooning of, of healthcare costs. And again, I say, extremely expensive and I don't care. Yeah. yeah. Spend it. You our governments, everybody's governments went into over COVID, went into debt billions. This crisis <laughs> is the same crisis. The only difference here is, and this is the thing nobody wants to say, unless it's your relative, nobody gives a crap about old people. Mhm. That's the hard friggin' truth, right? Yeah. They don't care. And what what I when I go into the 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 home that my grandma's in, what I notice the most isn't like the healthcare they're getting. It's it's not that. It's the emotional and loving 
caretaking individual that is freaking priceless. Mm -hmm. That's what the elderly, they need healthcare, yes, but they really need that. And that shouldn't, it, it, it isn't, epic. The, the cost isn't epic. The problem is there's a certain kind of human that does that. Yeah. And we don't have many. And I've seen them. I'm telling you, I have seen them take care of my grandma and I watch them. And I know how I take care of my, what's my grandma? And I watch them and I'm like, you, there is something about their soul that is so incredibly powerful and beautiful and amazing that you know the one thing my grandma cares about at the end of the day we all care about is our dignity yeah is feeling like a person you know is mm -hmm. that if you're incontinent and somebody's taking care of you at 97 with a diaper on they take care of you with respect Mm -hmm. You know, or if you don't want to eat food, they don't shove it down your throat or they talk to you. They don't just assume, you know, you're going to you're going to just jump to whatever it is they need you to do. And I don't know how you measure that. I don't know how you hire for that, to be honest. I don't even think you need a it's there's not even an educational requirement for that. It's something else. It's something intrinsic into that person. But there it is. It's about it's about dignity. And that's, and I, my mom spent enough time in the hospital recently too. And that's what we're sorely missing. It's and sometimes so complicated it, too. Yeah. Yeah. It, and it, there's so many things tied in as you're talking, I'm thinking about our amazing caregivers that work for hospice and people that are caring for the bodies of people that are failing them and caregivers in our facilities that we go to, just like you're talking about. And uh, yeah, there's a, a very minimal education requirement, but those jobs that are so physically demanding, because you have to have a well body, it is hard to care for someone that can't help themselves. Yeah. Uh, but those jobs, just like farm labor, just mm -hmm. like housekeeping, just like what, you know, whatever other job is a physical job like that are almost always undervalued and underpaid. And there's so no much. way to recruit for that because nobody can have a living wage when they're not valued enough to get paid for it. Yeah, exactly. A hundred percent. And round and round we go, you know, who's going to, who's paying for, you know, and, and then the other side of that, and I had this conversation recently too with a couple of people is the cost of care, right? And you get this, I've heard you say, you understand that there's a cost for, you know, yes, it's, it's insane how much care costs and also what those, what that cost is including, including the caregivers, including the, the building they're in and the meds they get and the food they get and all that. It's like, there's no in between who can afford that. And also who can afford to work there? <laughs> That's a great question. It's crazy. You can't, making. Afford, you can't afford to, but, but it, the beds are full. Right. So I don't know where everybody, I mean, I'm assuming everybody's getting their money because this ties into a whole other thing about generational wealth and how it's, how it's siphoned and how it's, you know, families aren't going to do better and better and better. Like, you know, at the end of the day, when you're that age, you have to, you, you sell your home and then you use that income in order to subsidize. But there goes the generational wealth. There goes the wealth of me passing my house down to my kids, yeah. which is what's made families hundreds of millions of dollars and turns into billionaires. 
is that transfer of wealth, mm-hmm. right? And so what we're seeing is in middle-class families, it's this cost is going to eradicate the possibility of the next generation having a bit of a heads up because they can't, because they had to use that money and not begrudgingly. I mean, I think everybody understands not begrudgingly, but they had to use that money in order to take care. Mm-hmm. And their- again, God forbid, what's going to happen to people like you and I that don't have children that, you know, Listen, that's why I started TikTok. <laughs> There's somebody out there. I tell my friends, kids all the time, listen, I'm around you all the time. You just know that when I'm really old, (laughs) you're going to take care of me. But I think that's true. I think we also just assume like in our younger years, you know, you're just going to have a heart attack or stroke and boom, that'll be that. You don't think of this slow degenerative process and how painful and how demoralizing, you know, and I've always felt, I've always been really afraid. And I ask my grandma all the time that is she scared? Cause I I just don't want her to feel scared, but you know what the interesting part is? She never does. Yeah. My grandma's never been, she's never told me she's scared Mm -hmm. ever. She's told me that she doesn't feel good and she's tired of not feeling good. And why isn't she getting better? So she's frustrated with that. She's even talked about when she's not here. I'm not going to talk about that too much because it makes me cry. And what should happen in her more cognizant <clears throat> moments. Mm-hmm. But she's never she's never talked about being afraid. She doesn't like being alone. Mm. Mm-hmm. So, you know, and I think because she doesn't feel safe, not because she feels lonely. Mm. And again, you would think at 97, going on 98, dealing with all this crap, you would figure that you just be like, oh, I'm done. Like, let's be done. I want to call it, a, you know, that kind of mentality. No, she doesn't want to be alone because she feels unsafe and she doesn't want to like, you know, try to get up and not be able to get up or whatever. And so I find that all interesting. I find it because she can't remember where she is or how she is and stuff like that. Again, I thought that would be scary. It's not mm-hmm. because again, The only thing I think people need to feel is love from people around them, Mm -hmm. period. Care from people around them. And that doesn't have to be relatives. Yeah. It doesn't have to come from me. I've watched it. I used to think it only could come from me. It's not. She feels very, very safe with quite a few of the the workers in that that, uh, facility. And, And what you see is this like, very quite lovely human connection of dependency and trust that I think we're missing in the real world, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, because it's the only thing that matters now. Yeah. For her. And, and dementia particularly is, is such a challenging decline for the patient and for the loved ones. I love that you, you mentioned changing the perspective that, you know, you're not a burden. You're parent, you're paying for this care. Yeah. I use that a lot in hospice. Yeah. I use that a lot. Yeah. Cause people, yeah. I will even have patients say, well, I'm not as sick as some of the, your, your other patients. So I don't need uh, a visit. You go do visits at other people's house. And I'm like, no, no, 
you're paying for this. Like, yes, I I have a level of care and compassion for my patients individually, but I want you to remember this is a mostly Medicare paid mm-hmm. for You're owed benefit. this, yeah. yeah. And so utilize it, you know, mm-hmm. we're getting paid the same amount whether you do or not. So use it. And sometimes that helps, especially with this generation that Man, my grandma mostly really likes- serving, yeah. Listen, my grandma thinks that my, because my mom went through what she goes, she's gone through and so she doesn't walk very well or whatever. And my grandma thinks that she's paying for my mom to get healthy in that same facility, Mm. just in a different room. So my grandma's like, well, you take care of, I'm getting something to eat, but I want her to have something (laughs) to eat. Okay. Yeah. No problem. Yeah. She, she thinks she, I think she might also think I live in there just in a different room. Sure. Um, So that's fine. Oh, Grandma Ruby. My grandma feels good when she, because she's older and British and she doesn't say, I love you. She says, get my purse. <laughs> but that's, I love you. I, I've i told, because she's tried to pay the nurses too. Like when we're not there, she'll say, if she really likes them, she'll say, get, get $10 out of my, and the nurse is like, I'm already getting paid. You don't need to. And so they tell us that. And I'm like, just so you know, that means I love you. Mm-hmm. That's all that means. And, you know, I, I, she, I know she's paying you or whatever, but when she says that, I want you to hear in your head that she's really saying, I love you. Thank you. Whatever. That's what that means. Get my purse. It's, I don't know. I mean, and, is that, is that on your arm? Get my purse. I should, I should put that on my arm. Eh? <laughs> I have her signature on the back of my shoulder. I got it actually right before all this happened, like right before mom got sick. Well, I know mom, mom was already sick, but um, I have my grandma's old passports for some reason. And uh, I saw her signature there. So I had my tattoo artist put it on my shoulder. I love it. Oh my gosh. I mean, I could go on and on about my rants for caregiving and whatnot, but I, I just really appreciate being able to get a perspective that it's not just the U S no, we think there's places that have, a better system you're still struggling too mm-hmm. yeah absolutely and and I, and again the more sometimes you guys are pushing to be like us we think we should be put some politicians think we should be pushing to be like you just for austerity just for money mm-hmm. right because this is the the, the <clears throat> unfortunately it's the driving force and it's not just the driving force for politicians it's the driving force for us voting for those politicians and then it puts us in a position like we're sitting in right now do you find hope in this? Yes, sure. Absolutely. I mean, I think you're the perfect person to be advocating for this with your teaching history and politics and being able to bring that to the table. And with your, I mean, that's a whole nother question. I'm derailing us by right. asking you the last time we spoke, you had 300,000 followers and now it's 2.5 million. Is that what I was at before? Wow. So uh, uh, that's a lot. Yeah, and, yeah. Um, I'm super happy and proud for you, but I think that's so helpful to be able to advocate with that voice and yeah, with I, a very intelligent and articulate voice. Thank you. Thank you. I, I, I think, and the reason why I'm hopeful is because it's never because of politicians or laws or, or, you know, sort of anything like that. It's because I have seen beautiful people do beautiful things when they don't have to. Mm. 
and, and the more that you see that, the more that you understand, or the more that I, I feel as though when I bet on people and their nature and their heart and their love for strangers, I know we will go somewhere better. And we always do. I, I, you know, I know a lot of people are like, let's go back to 19. I don't know what they're talking about because we always, we always do progress even through sometimes we feel like we've been pushed back a bit. You look at somebody who takes care of my grandma, the way I would take care of my grandma, who's not getting paid very much to do so. And that kind of beauty and heart is what will and is changing the world. Yeah. Not just saving a cheerleader. There. Save the world. See, I should go back and watch that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, listening to your uh, videos and your stories of your kids and and other influencers or other people that talk about the youth of today, really, it does give me hope. I mean, you hear some. They're always smarter. How about, you know, every generation says, oh, the kids today or whatever, but this generation in particular and, and really the end of the last generation, I guess, below millennials, zennials, I don't know what they're called, but that mm-hmm. one and the kids today now, like your age kids yeah, are so thoughtful and they're so involved and willing to be activists in cleaning up the mess we made, you know, and, and the generations before us. And it's funny what they're doing right now. And I think this is a good place to sort of like wrap the idea up on because what they're doing right now, what this generation is doing, which is what every generation should have done in the first place is handle their own mental health. Yes. If you can learn to handle your own mental health, you and all of us become the exact wave of optimism and progress that we ever wanted it to be. If Mm -hmm. you can handle your own mental health and you can talk about it, you can put it on the table and somebody else can talk to you about theirs and you can go get help when you need it and do all these things, all that built up crap that we never did in the past, that instead of saying, I love you, you say, go get my purse, (laughs) that gets washed away. And in place of that is a level of authenticity and self-empowerment. And if you have that, you don't need to change the world because it's already changed. Get my purse. Get my purse. I'll get t-shirts. All right. (laughs) Thank you, Joanna, so much. I appreciate you. you. I look forward to your Love, Lies, and Videotape show. Thank you so much. I'm very excited about that. I'll let everybody know when that comes out. Perfect. Thank you so much. All right. Have a good day. Bye-bye. I just want to express my great appreciation to Joanna again for coming on the podcast and talking to us. She is just such a wealth of knowledge and I always appreciate talking to her and she always gives us a laugh and something to think about. So I sure do appreciate her and wish her all the best. If you have any questions, you can always email me at someDayDeadPC at gmail.com. You can find me on Twitter at someDayDeadPC. And I just want to make sure that you're all taking care of yourselves out there. There's a lot going on. There's a lot of different pushes and pulls and personal struggles and you know, we only have each other. And so let's just remember to live because someday we'll all be dead.